Hello, I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. Coming up after the news, it's philosophy talk. Ken, you look terrible. You look like you've been crying. Well, John, I saw this really sad movie, and I just can't get over it. I just can't get over it. Ken, let me tell you, movies are just stories. Rational people like me don't cry at movies. Well, maybe rational people don't, but normal people like me do. They cr- we cry, we get angry, we get afraid. Movies really move you. Is that because you normal people believe that those movies are true? Well, we don't quite believe it. We don't quite disbelieve it either. We do something called suspending disbelief. And when you do that, you can get really emotionally involved in all kinds of things. Fantastic things, sad things, things that make you angry, things that cause you fear. Art and the suspension of disbelief when Philosophy Talk continues after the news. Hello and welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of 91.7 KALW, local and innovative public radio for San Francisco. And this week we're continuing conversations that began at Stanford at the Stanford Humanities Center, co-sponsor of today's show. Our thanks to John Bender and all the wonderful staff at the Humanities Center. Our guest, Stephen Meyer, was a fellow there and returned to participate this last weekend in a glorious conference about knowledge and belief, celebrating the Humanities Center's 25th anniversary at Stanford. Yeah, it's a fine place, the Humanities Center. And this conversation that started down at the Stanford, on the Stanford campus will migrate, has migrated to the air, obviously, and it's already migrated to the blog where both John Perry and our chief uh, researcher, head of our crack research team, Neil Van Leeuwen, have already weighed in on the blog, so go check it out at theblog.philosophytalk.org. Well, Ken, since you mentioned the blog, let's get into today's topic, Art and the Suspension of Disbelief, with a little story I told on my blog. When Charles Dickens killed off Little Nell in the old curiosity shop, thousands of people lined up at the docks on New York City waiting for the, the edition of the paper that had that installment in there. They were worried that something was going to happen to Little Nell. And when the people uh, closest to the boat ripped open the package and read the thing, and then, then they told the people behind them, and they told the people behind them that Little Nell had, been, had, had died, people just wept and wailed and threw themselves on the ground. And uh, there was this fantastic outpouring of emotion, and yet... Little Nell wasn't real, and everybody knew she wasn't real. Isn't that kind of amazing? It's pretty, yeah, it's really amazing because, right, they, they knew she wasn't real. So, there's, I mean, who are they concerned about? Little Nell is a fictional character. She's not a real person. I mean, so how could they even have emotions about Little Nell, it, right? I mean, that's one question, and if they did have emotions about Little Nell, why did they move them like that? Why did they cause them to wail on the ground and all that? Because, you know, when you watch a horror movie, you're afraid, but you don't run out of the theater, I mean, these guys seem confused. Well, yeah, but although, you know, some of Dickens' fellow authors, uh, like Carlyle, who presumably wasn't at all confused about the reality of Little Nell, wrote him a letter saying what a jerk he was for killing her. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> so people, he, he had anger. It was real anger, even though it was a fiction, and he knew it. But he was angry. Carlyle sounds like he was angry or disappointed or something at Dickens, rather than whoever in the story killed Little Nell, right? Well, That's that a little be. different thing. This is complicated stuff. But, you know, th- so there's a puzzle, right? There's a, there's a big puzzle about this stuff. Art, movies, novels, anything that tells a story moves us, moves us emotionally, deeply moves us. We n- often it's just pure make-believe. It's completely made up. Are the emotions real? 
Well, if they were real, why don't they call us to cause us to run out of the theater or like go get a gun to save the woman who's about to be about to be uh, killed? You know, I mean, that's a real puzzle, I think. Well, when when we have children that are about to run out of the theater or or break into tears or go 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 too far in getting upset, we remind them that it's uh, not real. So maybe there's kind of a I guess this is what the willing suspension of disbelief that we hear about is. Right. There's kind of this intermediate state where you your your belief that it's not real or your disbelief that it is real is somehow put on hold. And then you can pull it back when you're about to run out of the theater yeah, or, right. or, you know, soil your pants Just or in the nick of time, you face the reality that it's a mere fiction. So the willing suspension of disbelief is supposed to be a solution to a puzzle. Our roving philosophical reporter, Amy Standen, went out and talked to some people who engaged in the suspension of disbelief. She files this report. Why is it that sometimes things that aren't real affect us as if we were right there, having that experience ourselves? I asked a few people I know to describe the movie, the book, the video game that made them lose track of the difference between reality and fiction. Superman will have just done some heroic thing, and he'll come back, and he'll fit back on his nerdy clothes and look like Clark Kent, and Lois Lane will be there, and she has no idea what he's just done, and she treats him like a schmuck. It just kills me to watch this, and I know every time I watch it, I know what's going to happen. I know that she's not going to appreciate this great thing he's done, and that she's going to treat him like a loser. But it still pains me to see it. I always find myself just wishing, just once, this time I watched it, that he would just sort of break out of character and tell her the truth. So uh, Tyrion Lannister, a, um, a dwarf, hunchback dwarf, is lying on a stone cell at the edge of a cliff. He's hungry, he's cold, he's lacking in any kind of comfort. His jailer has been coming in and beating him and throwing his food off the side of the cliff. And Tyrion is scared, uh, but he's cunning, so he's figuring out how to get out of this situation. I was reading this book and a friend of mine told me that uh, she had never seen me so concentrated, including when I've been working or doing anything else, which is a little ironic because it's a fantasy novel, you know, large, thick, trashy fantasy novel. My focus really goes on the Tyrion Lannister, how he's going to get out of this bind that he's in. It was so fun. <laughs> It's like one of those sort of Doom-style games where you run around in an arena, kind of, and you run out of your ammo, and sometimes it comes down to hand-to-hand combat, which is really funny. <laughs> but I was screaming uncontrollably and stamping my feet, and just, like, the tension of what was happening in the game was so overwhelming. It just felt so real. <laughs> It's about a, a man who can time travel, but not in the sense that as we know it, he's got some genetic disorder, which means that his body just shifts through time, quite physically. He can suddenly be in another place, uh, not know why, why he's there, where, where he is, and he always appears naked. And he says to her before he dies, I will see you again. We will, you will see me one more time. She's, she's always hoping, she's always looking out of the window. And she does see him again because he traveled back before he died. 
and it just gives you goosebumps. I, I cried a lot when I read it. Yes, I cried buckets, just absolutely sobbing for about two or three hours after I'd finished it. You just feel as though it was an experience you went through and you know them. You feel as though you've made friends. For Philosophy Talk, this is Amy Standen. Want to hear more? You can hear the rest of the program by purchasing it at iTunes Music. Or, for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.